What an exciting day to celebrate. We're going to get in the Word together, starting a new series here. But I want to begin by telling you that there is a sizable list of things that I'm pretty terrible at in life. All right? If I were to share with you the list of things that I'm pretty terrible at in life, one of them would be cooking. I've messed up mac and cheese. I mean, something went terribly wrong, and I just, yeah, I'm also pretty bad at singing. You can stand behind me at church, but you don't want to be standing in front of me. You will pay. I'm pretty bad at home repair when I have to start, you know, repairing. Uh, Lauren gets pretty nervous when I pull out the drill and go to work. Uh, Other things, but probably the thing I'm worst at is golf. We had our first ever Harvest Payless golf outing last year, and I just feel bad for my team. They had to suffer through my terrible golfing the whole outing. I've got this nasty slice, and I actually have to aim 45 degrees away from where I want the ball to go to get it to land straight on the fairway. So maybe you wouldn't believe this, but uh, this past summer I had the chance to golf the back nine of Pebble Beach on a simulator. (laughs) I was at a pool in Michigan, and they had this simulator set up over in the corner, and I thought, well, I think I will try it. Have you seen golf simulators before? It's a giant screen. Computer puts the image up there, and then you get all ready, and you hit it. Somehow it knows right where the ball's going. So I thought, I'll finally get to enjoy golfing, right? Because I'll be a good golfer, and I'll golf. So I get the computer all ready, and I get up there, and I line it up, and wham! And wouldn't you know it, that computer knew about my slice. <laughs> the ball didn't go straight. It went, it went and landed in the audience. And I turned to that computer and I said, I'm holding a golf club. I will make you pay. I thought to myself, I'm not even a good golfer when I fake golf. (laughs) Well, there are certain things you're not good at. And if you made a list of things that you're not good at, I have a feeling many of you would put evangelism on that list. I have a feeling many of you would say, I'm not good at sharing my faith with others. Maybe I don't even try it anymore, or maybe I've tried it and it's not gone well. You probably lack confidence, you probably lack skill, you probably lack experience, and so when I say evangelism, when I say sharing your faith, you might be like, yep, that is definitely on the list of things that I'm not good at. Well, you're in good company. There's very few people who would say, I'm awesome at sharing my faith. For that reason, this whole fall, we're focusing on growing as a church in the skill of sharing our faith. One of our four pillars is evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. Boldness. And yet so many Christians don't feel confident talking to other people about Christ. So we want to help train you in that. We want to grow you and sharpen you in this skill. This week, the sermon is on the basics of evangelism. Next week is Bring a Friend Sunday. How many of you have a friend? How many of you need a friend? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, invite people to church next week. Invite somebody who you think will say yes. Invite one person who you think will say no. And invite a person who you think will swear at you for even thinking of inviting them to church. Somebody who's angry about God. Get them here because we're going to talk next week about what makes Christianity different from all the other religions. What makes Christ necessary and special in this world? Perfect sermon to bring your friend to. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about the major objections to the Christian faith. So the, the, the big few of them, that people say, well, I'm not a Christian because of this. Well, we're going to talk about those. And then after that, we'll do two weeks on the issue of origin, with his, which is creation, evolution. 
We'll do two weeks on the meaning of life and why we're here. We'll do two weeks on morality, or three weeks on morality, and we'll dive into issues like abortion, gay marriage, divorce. Not just what we believe about these things, but how do we talk to other people about these topics. And then two weeks on destiny, where it's all going, heaven, hell. It's going to be a great series. You'll be trained by the end of this fall to share your faith with others like never before. Make sure you get into a small group because that's where the primary training is happening. Well, hey, let's pray and then we'll get into the word together and we'll hear about sharing our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you great glory because we know that you got the truth to us. And those of us who are your children, saved, born again, heaven bound, are grateful to somebody for bringing the truth to us. Lord, help us to become that somebody to those we love. Help us to be the ones who deliver the message to people who are without hope, without joy, without Christ in this world. Train us how and give us courage and confidence in your name. Amen. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. The book was written from prison. It was written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. They got the letter. And it became circulated among the disciples, the believers, and so it eventually got into the Bible. Here in chapter 4, he gives them further instructions, and he zeroes in on sharing their faith with others. So uh, chapter 4, we're going to learn where to start sharing our faith with others. Chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 2. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. For the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. You can write this down first. Do you want to share your faith with others? Number one, we must pray for the lost. It all begins with prayer. Prayer leads to open doors for the word to spread. And it says here how we should pray. Steadfastly, it says. Watchful with thanksgiving. The word watchful means awake. It implies that some people are not praying and therefore are not spiritually even awake. They're snoozing. So, so everybody in the middle section, will you just kind of lay your head down and pretend like you're fast asleep? Go ahead, just for a second. Just like you're out. You're out. Now everybody over here, look at those people. Look at them. Look at them. Imagine if they physically were all asleep. All right, you can wake up. Good job. Now maybe we don't see it on your faces, But some people in the church are spiritually asleep. They're... And it's like Satan's walking up and he's like, it's that easy? There are churches that are asleep. There are denominations that are asleep. And they're told to wake up. Be watchful. How? In prayer. This implies that if you're not praying, you're really not watching. Awake, alert, means what? It means you're aware of the times. You're aware of the situation that's going on in this world. If you're not awake, if you're not watchful, if you're not prayerful, it means you're unconscious to the evil in the world around you. Unconscious to the danger and unconscious to your part in helping to solve it. We have to be awake through prayer. It also says we have to be thankful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, verse 2, being watchful, it's awake, with thanksgiving. Uh, What does thankful mean? Thankful means you're aware of the value of the gospel. 
your heart is so grateful that God would send his son to save you after all you did against him that he would still give his very best in his son to rescue you from eternal torment. You're so grateful and thankful and you treasure the truth that you find in Christ. The Christian who's not watchful and not thankful is not going to go and share his faith with others. He's all grumpy with God. I'm not happy. God hasn't given me everything that I want. I'm not even awake. I'm snoozing. Like that person's going to go and tell them, you need this Jesus and I'll tell you why. No. Watchfulness, thankfulness, and then readiness. It says at the same time, verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He wants an open door. He's ready for an open door. This is a man who's behind bars. His faith got him in jail, and so physically he probably wants the prison door to swing open. Part of, part of getting an open door to go share his faith is open this bar, this door right in front of me. But it's more than that. He recognizes that there's a spiritual opposition to what he's doing, and God needs to open up the way so that the word of Christ can spread. But it starts with prayer. Check out Romans 10.1. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the lost, is that they may be saved. Paul had a list. Praying for him to be saved. Praying for her to be saved. Praying for him to be saved. This is a guy who once killed Christians. Now he's praying for those who don't know Christ. Romans 9.1-3 reflects the heart that's behind this man. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He feels convicted that this should be true. That I have, what does it say there? Great sorrow. Not just sorrow. Great sorrow. And not just anguish. Unceasing anguish in my heart. For what? For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He looks at his relatives, he looks at his friends, he looks at his neighbors, he looks at those guys who were priests with him, and and he looks at them and he's filled with great sorrow. He's filled with anguish that doesn't stop. It's broken him so much that he's made this hypothetical deal in his heart. If I could give it all up so they could have it, I would i got to be honest with you. I'm not there emotionally. Towards people who aren't saved in my life, I don't feel anguish without ceasing. I think about it now and then. I'm broken now and then. I would never want to lose my salvation so they could get into heaven, if I'm honest. Paul's gotten to the point where he's willing to give it all up if it means they get it. What an example to us. Just how concerned should I be for those people in my life who don't know Christ I should be willing to give it up for them. Wow. It starts with prayer. If we're not praying for the lost, we won't love the lost. You know, prayer, I've seen time and time again, prayer will open up doors for evangelism. Prayer will open up doors in your life to talk to people who need to know Christ. Before I was a pastor, I used to be a teacher. Uh, I used to teach third grade in Plainfield. Then I used to teach fourth grade in Glen Ellen. It was awesome. Four years Love the job. I planned to teach for my whole life and then go to college and become a professor about teaching. That was my life plan, and God didn't listen to it. 
You ever pray, God, take the eraser, and if you want, don't pray that prayer. He will take the eraser and start erasing your plans and rewriting them. Now, I'm very grateful that he called me out of that, but even when I was a teacher, I felt a burden to reach my fellow teachers with the gospel. So they're in a public school. Uh, two or three of us were Christians. We'd meet before school. We'd pray for our students, and we'd pray for our fellow teachers. And after about a year, we thought, well, why don't we try and do something? Why don't we just reach out and give people a chance to hear the, the truth of Christ? So it was right about that time that, do um, you remember Rick Warren's book, 40 Days of Purpose? How many of you went through that when that first came out? It's a great like entry-level tool for people to hear about the truth. So we said, well, why don't we invite the teachers to a lunchtime book club at school, and they'll just bring their lunch to a classroom and read the book week after week. So we risked uh, embarrassment, and we put an invitation in every teacher's mailbox. Uh, There were probably 50 teachers in this school, and lo and behold, the first day of the book club, like 30 of the teachers came. The principal was there. And they all bought the book, and they read the whole book, 40 Days of Purpose. They came week after week, and we talked about it. And uh, I was blown away. I'm like, wow, God really used us and heard our prayers. And he brought all these teachers into this room, and there were some teachers who got saved from that, from that study. Um, prayer opened the door. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I challenged my students when we were going through the book of Acts, challenged my students to find someone who believed a different religion than them that week and share their faith with them. Don't be obnoxious or anything. Just tell them what you believe. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? You know, that's what teenagers say. So I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll pray that God gives me the opportunity to share my faith with a Muslim this week. And they're like, okay. So all week long, I'm like, now I've really gotten myself into it. How am I going to do this? And so it's Friday. It still hasn't happened. It's Saturday. It still hasn't happened. They're going to like throw things at me the next day if I don't. So it just so happened that uh, I was at Moody Bible Institute and Seminary. And that Saturday, we all went out on this like community service day. So we were, in, we were out in some like northwest inner city suburb and we're, I don't even know what we were doing. We were like doing community surveys and it wasn't working. So we're walking around and I see this mosque and I'm like, huh, should I go in? And they were, all the Muslims were going in for prayer time. So I said to my professor, I'm like, hey, why don't we go into the mosque and just see if we can maybe talk to some people? And he goes, you want to go in there? And I said, yeah. He said, well, then I'm going with you. So, so we went into the mosque, and we just sat in the back. We didn't have an agenda. We just sat in the back and watched their prayer service and observed. And then at the end of their prayer time, the guy who prayed the longest t- turned and, and saw us, and he walked over and sat down and struck up a conversation. His name was Aziz. We talked for 45 minutes, and we shared Christ with him in the mosque. In a mosque. They gave me a complimentary Koran as a souvenir, and I went that Sunday, and I was telling the teenagers, look, I did it! But really, I prayed that God would open a door, and, and it happened in a mosque. How cool is it? It was such a great conversation, us hearing from him and him hearing from us. So prayer opens doors for evangelism. We have to pray. If we don't pray, we're going to lack love for the lost. We believe in red apple evangelism here at Harvest. What that means is, God has to ripen a person's heart to to Christ. If God doesn't ripen a person's heart, turn them into a red apple, they won't get saved. You can't can't perform the gospel in such a powerful and moving display that they will get saved because you're so great. That will never happen. Paul wrote books of the Bible. He saw heaven with his own eyes. And he went up and told some people about Jesus and they threw him in jail and said, shut up. Okay? Okay? So you, 
You're not going to get it done. Christ is going to get it done through you, which is why you need to pray. Uh, The Spirit will prepare the heart of the person. He'll use many things, pain, he'll use experiences, he'll use relationships, he'll use knowledge. He's got to get the heart ready. Your part, honestly, you're like a paper boy. You throw the paper on the porch. The word evangelism actually means good news. You're just delivering the news. God is the one who has to get it through to the heart. And prayer is a, is a huge beginning part. Prayer is like the go square on the Monopoly board for evangelism. If you're not there yet, you're not getting anywhere, really. You've got to pray. You've got to pray and love these people who don't have Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Wow, what a challenge. Hey, when is the last time that you just got on your knees and you prayed for your loved ones who don't know Christ? When did you pray that they would be saved? Earlier this week, as I started preparing this message, I'm like, it's been way too long. It's been too long since the last time I've actually gone through my list and asked for God to save these relatives and these friends and these neighbors. I got down on my knees and I just started praying and it didn't take long for the tears to start falling. I got to tell you, it didn't take long and my heart was broken for these people as I thought about the pain they've endured and how they're trying to piece it all together and I know what they need. It broke me. But we don't pray because we don't want to think about it. We feel helpless. We're not sure God's going to do anything. We've got to pray. The first point is we have to pray for the lost. Here's number two. Then we have to share the truth about Jesus. You can write that down. Once we pray, then the door opens. We better be ready to share the truth. So check out verse 3, chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watchful, thankful. Verse 3, pray for us also, what? That God may open a door. For what? For the word. What does that mean? Now, when, if you know your Bible, when you hear the word, there should be some bells going off, right? The word. Where, where have I heard that before? The word, the word, the word. John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All right, so this word is a person. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. So now we understand the word means who? Yeah. God may open to us a door for the word, for the truth about Jesus to come to the people. And then he says it here to declare the mystery of Christ. That doesn't mean like we're supposed to share the truth of Christ like it's a Scooby-Doo episode, like the mystery of Christ. It It means the Old Testament people didn't quite all figure it out, and then Jesus was really disclosed in the new. So the mystery is now revealed, but but it refers to the truth of Christ as the mystery of Christ in the New Testament from time to time. We have to share the word. We have to share the truth of Christ, and Paul knows this. Um, Once the door is open, we have to be ready to tell people about Jesus. That's the bottom line. And if we tell them any other thing, we're not helping them eternally at all. Uh, I'm so grateful that through prayer, God has opened up a great opportunity to us We have a burden for high schoolers. We want them to hear the truth of Christ. And we know that our freedom in the United States allows us uh, to train high schoolers to share Christ with their friends in their school. That's great. We have great freedom, but often high schoolers have not been trained to know that they have these rights and they're not trained to know how to use them. 
Well, over the last two years, we've been partnering with CSP, and this organization's goal is to get the gospel into every high school in the nation. And they came to town. They came to Chicago two years ago in answer to prayer. And uh, we didn't have a plan. They show up, and they've got a plan. And get this, over the last two years, two years, 5,600 students have heard the gospel in their high schools, in 30 high schools, in two years. And our kids have been a part of that. Check this out. There's a video. They're going to pray soon, and they're having another prayer rally. Check it out. I'm a Christian at Ridges High School. I'm Kaylee. I am a Christian at Oakland High School. I'm Emma. I'm Christian at Redmond High School. Hi, I'm Teddy. I'm a Christian student at Shepherd High School. I'm Alex. I'm a Christian here at Redmond High School. Hello, my name is Kendrick, and I'm a Christian at Shepherd High School. I'm Miss Cora, and I'm a Christian at Oakland High School. My name is Julian. I'm a Christian at Shepherd High School. And I will see you. And I will see you. I will see you. And I will see you. And I'll see you at the pool. And I'll see you at the poll. I will see you at the poll. I will see you at the poll September 23rd. And I will see you at the poll on September 23rd. We'll see you at the poll September 23rd. So tens of thousands of students gather uh, for see you at the poll each year. Same morning, they all get at the flagpole, they pray for their high schools. Uh, And for many schools, it stops there. But we've got this great partnership with with an organization that then takes those people who come to the poll, gets them ready to do an outreach in their high school. And uh, 30 schools, they're praying, is going to become 60 schools over the next few years. And 5,000 kids, we're praying, is going to become 10, 15, 20,000 students who hear the gospel. Last, this, earlier this year alone, 1,000 high schoolers heard the gospel in a single week because they did all these rallies at the same time. It's unbelievable, but it was an answer to prayer. We prayed for a great awakening, and God brought this partnership to Chicago. Paul wants the word to get out. God wants the word to get out. It says here in verse 4, though, once the opportunity is there, he says, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Clarity is a value and also urgency. He wants, he knows he ought to speak it. He needs to get it out. He also used the word declare in verse 3. I need to declare it. I ought to speak it, but I want to do it with clarity. Clarity is important because the word for clarity there means to make visible or to bring to light, uh, which means when you get the chance to share Christ with a non-believer, you should really strive to make sure that it's, you're choosing your words carefully so that they can understand what you're saying. The very bare minimum of the gospel message is enough to save a person forever, all right? We believe that. But the challenge is, if we're not careful, sometimes people change the message or they muddy it up. And and if we're not getting the actual gospel clearly to the other person, chances are they can't be saved. If we get it wrong, they absolutely can't be saved because we have to share the truth about Christ. So Paul here is praying, just help me to make it clear. Help me to just make sure that it's simple and understandable. And this is a value elsewhere in Scripture and uh, 1 Corinthians 14.9, uh, the Bible elevates intelligible speech, meaning speech that results in the other person hearing it. Now, even if you share it carefully, considerately, even if you're as simple as you can be, some people just won't get it. But it's not your fault. Even if you're so gracious that you share it in the kindest way you can, the other person still might be offended. But they're not offended with you. They're offended because of the truth. They're not offended because of your mannerisms. They're offended because of what you shared with them. That's fine. That's to be expected. But we have to make sure we're not becoming a roadblock to the message getting through. 
The reason why our message is not going to, like imagine, you, you take the risk, you share Christ with someone, and you're like, I did a pretty good job. I was clear, I was urgent, and then they're like, I don't want to hear it, forget about you. And you're like, what did I do wrong? They won't listen to me. The reason that it doesn't work right away is because there's another layer to it. There's a spiritual component to evangelism. You have to pray because there is a dark force in the heavenly realms that's going to oppose your message. The other person has sin in their heart that they want to keep. That sin will oppose the message that they are hearing. There's a very real enemy, and he will tempt them to not believe the gospel. It's not just you and that person in that room. The Holy Spirit's going to work. There are angels all around you. There's an enemy who's trying to steal away the seed that you're planting. It's war. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, when a person becomes a Christian, that person is then and there declaring war on hell, and hell fights back. When you start sharing your faith with others, hell fights back. It's going to be a battle, and we're not promised anything less. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have, I love this, divine power to destroy strongholds. Where are these strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. These are internal battles, arguments, opinions, and thoughts that oppose the truth that you're giving these people. It's a war in their heart. It's a war, and you shouldn't expect anything less. When you share the truth about Christ, you're launching an artillery strike into their soul, and only the truth of Christ has the power to destroy everything that sin has built in their life. Listen, if you bring any other truth, if you're like, well, I'll cut it in half, or I'll, you know, I'll gussy it up a little bit and make it easier to listen, it's like you're storming the beaches of Normandy with a, with a, with a toy rifle. Click, 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 click. You're dead. You're not going to make any progress. You need live rounds. And the gospel is the powder keg. Jesus is the only one who can break through their heart. I took the kids to a Revolutionary War reenactment yesterday at Cantini out near Wheaton. It was awesome. They've got all, got all the soldiers dressed up, fighting for our independence. I was really excited until the Revolutionary Army lost and ran away in retreat. I almost started booing. I was like, what? Didn't they read the history books? America won! But I didn't boo because the Redcoats had guns, and I didn't. Before the battle, though, they had this artillery demonstration, so they brought the cannons out. Check this out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Fire to the shot! Give! Fire! When they did that, my ears were ringing. Felt like somebody hit me right in the chest with a hammer. You couldn't pay me enough money to run at one of those things. That was war. Wow. And I just think about sharing the gospel, uh, the gospel is the power of God. Sharing the truth of the gospel is explosive in the heart of the other person. But if you're sharing any other thing, click, 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 
Nothing. You're not going to win any battles. You need the truth of Christ. In the United States, there's much disagreement and confusion over who Jesus is, which leads to a reluctance to tell other people about him. A Barna poll in earlier in this year revealed that 56% of Americans believe Jesus was God. 52% believe Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. Who is he? I don't know. Maybe he was God. Maybe he was a sinner like us. We're not really sure. They don't think he was special. A massive study involving over 42,000 people revealed 47% of Americans do not feel responsible for sharing their faith with others. So almost half, almost half of people would tell you, it's none of my business sharing my faith with other people. Which reflects in our culture that we're leaning to privatization, meaning you keep your faith in your home and everything will be fine. Your truth, fine. Just keep it under your roof and keep your mouth shut and then you won't have any trouble. That certainly was not the principle that our nation was founded on. We have the free exercise of religion, but there are many institutions, organizations, and groups that are trying to shove your truth back into your home and keep you quiet. Um, That's unfortunate and we can't give way to that. Because we have to share the truth about Jesus, but half of Americans think it's not their job. This really challenges every person in this room to make a decision. Do you believe that other people have to hear the truth about Jesus in order to be saved? I believe that. I don't think one day on the beach, this moonlit night, they're going to look up at the starry sky and get it. And somehow be saved by that. I don't think they're going to go for a walk in the forest and the birds chirping are going to somehow convince them of their own depravity. I don't think traces of truth found in other religions are going to one day convince them that Jesus is the one true God. It's not going to happen. We have a responsibility to share the truth of Christ with people, but most Americans don't think that. Last year, a LifeWay poll involving 3,000 people revealed 41% of Americans think you can get to heaven even if you've never heard about Jesus. But here we are at the gate. Who's getting in? All right, all right, come on in. You're a Christian, good. Follow Christ, good. You, whoa, 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 you. Have you ever even heard about Jesus? Never heard of him. Eh, all right, come on in. Close to half of the people you live and work with think that's going to happen. I'm getting to heaven. Whoa, Jesus? Never heard of him. Oh, good. I still get to go. That's not what the Bible says. We have to feel a conviction, a burden, to share the truth about Christ with others. Hey, are you praying for the lost? Are you anguished? Are you broken? If you could give up what you have so that another one could be saved, would you? the heart God's trying to form in you and me. Hey, are you ready to share the truth about Christ when the opportunity comes? Do you know the basic truth? Can you say it in a sentence? Can you say it in three? We have to speak it clearly, and we have to speak it. Here's the third point. We must make the most of every opportunity. We must make the most of every opportunity. It goes on to say in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, it says here, walk. That's just a uh, metaphor. Walking 
for, for living, how you're, how you're living your life, and how you're sharing your faith. So the way you interact with, it uses the word outsiders, non-Christians, unbelievers, uh, walk wisely. Wisdom is contrasted with foolishness. So when you have a chance to talk to someone about faith, you can do it in a wise and considerate manner. It says, he describes what that looks like, gracious, or you could be foolish. When you get a chance, you can be foolish. And the challenge here is to be so careful in what we say and how we say it, that at the end of it all, it's wise, it's, it's thoughtful, it, it's helpful. In addition, it's not just that conversation, but we're walking in wisdom toward outsiders daily, meaning when they look into your life, they don't see inconsistency. They actually see that your life lines up with the message you're sharing. Listen, this is so huge. Because if you say it properly, then they, can, they want to know if it's true. So you should share it clearly, simply, so that they can start to figure out if it's true. But they, they also want to know if it's real. And that's where you come in. Because they're looking in your life. And they want to see that this truth has really made a difference to you. And if they don't see that it's real in your life, they're likely not going to think that it's true. But if they see that this truth has really changed you, they're likely to believe that this could be true and real for them also. We have to make the most of every opportunity. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Then it says, making the best use of the time. That phrase there in the Greek is drawn from the marketplace. It means uh, buying it all up. So making the best use of time means buying it all up, buying all the time up. So imagine you're at Costco and you're shopping and you come to an aisle and you're like, whoa, that is a phenomenal deal. I've never seen those things so cheap before in my whole life. In fact, this is such a good deal. I'm going to buy every last one of them. This is the idea. I'm buying them all. I'm buying them all because the deal is so good. They're so valuable that you can't let even one of them get away. Now, consider that, uh, what that tells us about time. When you have an opportune moment and you, you feel like the Lord is opening a door for you, you should see that as like, I'm not going to let this deal get away from me. I'm going to seize this opportunity. I'm going to buy up every chance I have to make the best use of the time so that I can tell people about Jesus. This doesn't necessarily mean that from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you're trying to tell every person who you come into contact with that week. It's not like you've got to put a sandwich board on that says, behold, the end is near. Whether you're living it out in front of people or you have that cherished opportunity to say it to them, you understand time is short and you make the most of every opportunity God gives you. It says here that we should let your speech always be gracious. Our tone is really important. We should make sure we're not harsh, super judgmental. We're not arrogant. We're not vulgar. We should make sure that we're kind and loving. It says here that our conversation should be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Well, salt, it could be taken a few ways. Salt could keep meat from going rotten. So it's kind of like don't let your words be repulsive to the other person, but salt can also enhance the taste. So, you know, make sure when you're sharing it that you do it in a way where there's life behind it. It's not just like bland and tasteless and like, do you even believe this stuff, you know? Like, make sure that 
Overall, a summary of that saltiness means just give careful consideration to share it in the best possible manner. Don't just be reckless and don't just be timid. And then it says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, there are many ways to share Christ with people. Some, some approaches are more one-size-fits-all, which means throw these five Bible verses in the chamber and just fire them off at everyone you see. You know, John, okay, John 3.16 says this, and Romans 3.23 says this. Like the same approach to every individual. And hey, I'm not knocking that, but we need to bring a balanced approach to sharing Christ with people because here, the picture that's painted here is each person is an individual. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to share Christ with her. And I'm trying to figure out the most considerate way to share it with him. Uh, I'm picking my time and my words very carefully. Okay? But I want to make the most of every opportunity. And notice that it uses the word outsiders in verse 5, which brings us right back to the urgency of the moment. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Listen, the Bible is crystal clear. There are only two lines leading into the afterlife. One going to heaven, one going to hell. You're in one line this morning. Everyone in your life, everyone on your block, everyone who's at your job is in one of only two lines, heaven or hell. And maybe you find it offensive to call certain people outsiders or non-believers. Or... Listen, the Bible says it honestly and truthfully. Not to be harsh and cold and critical of people, but to tell them their true condition. And sometimes people are afraid that if we really believe that all those people are not Christians or not in God's family yet, that, that they'll think we're harsh and unloving and cold. So what do we do? We, we kind of pretend that, that they'll be okay somehow. God will accept them somehow. So we put an arm around them and we say, you know what, maybe you believe different things than me, but we're all, we're all in the same family. Do you know what that's like? That's like going into the orphanage and finding a needy child who's not a member of your family yet and putting an arm around them and treating them like they're in your family, talking to them like they're a brother or sister or a child to you, loving them, and then not adopting them. You're content with the appearance or the experience of family, but all the while... You're not doing anything to get them into your family. Do you honestly think that if you talk to a non-Christian politely, lovingly, respectfully, telling them that they're one of God's own, that when they don't go to heaven in the next life, they're going to thank you? Do you think even one time they will say, thank you so much for treating me like I was an adopted child of God, for pouring the love on me and telling me I'm your sister and... It's a shame we're not in the same family and I'm not going to be in heaven with you forever, but thank you. That will never happen. No one will thank you in the next life for your polite refusal to help them get into God's family. Really, that's a selfish approach because you don't want to be stretched to say hard things to them. You're making yourself feel good, not them. You got to break through that. We have to shatter the image that they'll be okay somehow, even if I don't share the gospel with them. That truth needs to be thrown out of your heart, because they won't. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How's God going to make it happen? 
How's he going to get the truth to them? God is making his appeal through you. What an honor to be used by a holy God to reach out to those in your life who don't have Christ. What an honor. But the challenge is that you do it knowing that the stakes are high. Those without Christ will go to hell forever. And most people you know are on their way there. And you are the way God is going to reach them. This should create an urgency in your heart. I feel like in preparing this message this week, I feel like God pulled a fire alarm in my heart. I mean, I just felt like God prompted me like never before to help people get out of harm's way. And if we allow that alert system to go off, if we allow that alert system to drive us to prayer for the lost, to share the truth, God will use us. He'll use you. He will use you. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, in the upper world, hell once rebelled against heaven. But in this world, heaven is rebelling against hell. At any instant, you may strike a blow for the perfection which no man has seen since Adam. God can use you. He will use you. But you have to pray. You have to be ready to share the truth. And then you have to make the most of every opportunity. We're going to help you do that this fall. As a church, God's going to strengthen us in this skill. Let's start right now by praying. I want you to pick three people in your life who don't know the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for them right now. Think of those in your life who are so beat down and burdened. Think of those in your life who are so filled with pain. Think of those in your life who are chasing down every pleasure that's not satisfying them. Think of those in your life who should know better. They have not surrendered yet to the truth that they already know. Let's just pray for people by name in our own hearts right now. Father, break our hearts for the lost. Jesus, you wept over Jerusalem. You wept. We're just filled with anguish over those who do not have hope in this world. They keep trying and failing to piece things together. They keep fighting a losing battle against sin, and we see it. We feel helpless to stop it. Lord, many of us have tried. We've reached out and failed. We get discouraged, so we give up. But we ask that you would open doors of conversation with those we love, open doors of conversation with those on our blocks. As we invite people to church next week, may we be surprised and shocked at who shows up. 
We know we can't save anyone, Lord, but we're filled with anguish over those who are not on their way to heaven. We know of your great love for them, so use us as ambassadors. Make your appeal through us. And I don't want to waste this moment, Father. I'm confident that there are some here who don't know if they are going to heaven. They don't know if they have ever received the gift of eternal life. And they're afraid that they're in the wrong line. Lord, open a door right now to them. And I pray that if you're prompting them, that they would respond. They would pray, Jesus, save me. That they would pray, forgive me. That they would pray, give me assurance that I'm going to heaven. That they would ask to be used by you in this life. As they call out to you, I pray that you would fill them with joy and peace as only you can. Lord, do a wonderful work this fall in our church. Give us a heart for those who are unsaved like never before. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name.